What's up, everybody? It is Fear and Loathing podcast time in the cinema world. I am Brian Kluger, and I'm joined by the two co-hosts with the most, the two smoking aces, Dan Moran and Preston Barta. And if you can't tell by now, already, we are going to talk about On Fear and Loathing this week, Smoking Aces from 2007. This was a January movie directed and written by Joe Carnahan. But it feels like Guy Ritchie was a part of this, but he wasn't. But let's, how how how, how are you, Preston? How are you, Dan? I'm doing, doing great. Good. Doing, doing great. good? Are, are y'all listening to our new theme song constantly on rotation still? <laughs> I went for a run and I just I set every personal best record just jamming out to it the whole time. Yeah, you were I, like, I let's it. put let's put the Born Supremacy track on to the side and just jam <laughs> that. Forget Chariots of Fire. This is the new. Yeah, yeah this is it. It's Wahoo <laughs> the whole time. So Smoking Aces was a January movie in 2007. It cost $17 million. It made almost $60 million. And it uh, starred the best cast in the world, including Ben Affleck, Ryan Reynolds, Andy Garcia, Chris Pine, Common, Jeremy Piven, Ray Liotta, and Taraji B. Henson. Like, just Peter Berg's in it. Uh, Joel Edgerton, Matthew Fox. Just so many people are in this movie. Uh, including Jason Bateman, which I think is where we will get to where Ben <laughs> Affleck and Jason Bateman fell in love. Uh, but this movie has a 30% on Rotten Tomatoes, and it doesn't make sense because it feels like Snatch. It feels like Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels on cocaine. And yeah. this movie is kind of like the anime version of a Guy Ritchie movie almost. Like, it's crazy so okay so on the height of joe carnahan on the height of guy Ritchie movies back you know in the mid 2000s this came out and it feels like that fun violent crazy all these stories meshing together maybe with a big twist in it um i remember seeing it and i in the theater i was like man the trailer looks amazing this trailer looks crazy all these people are in it and then I saw it and I was like, damn, this movie is so good and so much fun. I loved it. You know, I was, how old was I? I was 26, 25 at the time and just fell in love with it. So Dan, we'll start with you first. Do you remember this movie at all coming out? Oh, absolutely. This is um, the height of me working for Regal Cinema. And I was a projectionist at that time. So I remember the trailer. I was in charge of putting up posters for it. It was the January dumping grounds. So 
just January is so slow at the theaters in general. And so it was like, we get to build this movie and tech it, which means we get to watch like two prints back to back if we wanted to. And that's just Preston froze and um, loving. Oh, Dan, uh, real quick now, I'm making a little note here. Um, no, just leave it in. Just leave it in. Just leave it yeah. in. You, you cut out, man. So we just heard la, 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 nothing <laughs> and then love it. <laughs> Perfect. Hey, you know what? Everything in between didn't matter. So it worked out perfectly. Loved it. Loved it. Good. Good. Preston, what about you? How? I mean, you're the young one of the group. So what do you think? Um, yeah, when it came out, it was a pretty big deal. Uh, I don't know if I mentioned this last week or just off mic, but this this film was a, a like I said, a really big deal for me and my baseball team because I got my baseball team to go <laughs> to the uh, I want to say it was the midnight screening or at least the Friday night opening night screening, and uh, we all just fell in love with it and bonded over it so much so that when it came out on DVD, I uh, got it because my mom worked next to a blockbuster. And awesome. during the off season of baseball, uh, my coach, who was also a history teacher, and we had our walkers in a portable, which was a very odd thing. And we took couches that were like, we would do fun runs around the neighborhood. I know I'm doing a big sidebar here, but it's all part of the entertainment and putting you in the setting of where we were. Uh, so we would do fun runs around the neighborhood and people would put couches at the end of their curbs and we would take it and put it in the portable. So we just created this huge hangout spot. And so my uh, so that's where we're at. And my coach puts <laughs> on Patton which I'm a huge George C. Scott fan, but when we were in high school and you're 16, 17, you don't give a shit about those history movies. So you were like, all right, everybody, as soon as coach leaves, Preston, get your DVD. We're putting in smoking aces and man, that's what we did. So um, yeah, this, uh, I loved this movie when it came out and I think it was, I think we all really liked it because it was the most adult movie that we probably have ever seen with yeah. its language violence and everything in between um we made the dialogue a part of our dialogue and how we communicated with each other on the baseball team it was just a huge deal like i said okay. so yeah for sure. that's fun that's fun i like that smoke and aces was that movie for you i believe that movie for me you know my early teens was um was dust till dawn and i remember that yeah. movie being so nice. violent and crazy and nudity and all sorts of stuff and that being that first like oh this is the craziest movie i've seen thus far yeah so i like how you brought that up so with smoke and aces um it kind of centers around like a cavalcade of characters but jeremy piven plays this um, this magician in Las Vegas who gets mixed up in the mob and he ends up working for the mafia and then he tries to go out on his own and then the CIA and the, not the CIA, the FBI is after him and he works a deal with them. He's going to give him the uh, he's going to give him the whole syndicate, you know, for his freedom. And so 
the syndicate, the mafia boss puts out a hit on him for a million dollars and all these kind of John Wick assassins are out to take him out before he can make the deal. Meanwhile, the CIA and the FBI and everybody else is trying to converge on this casino um, to, to take him out. Meanwhile, Jeremy Piven is coked out doing drugs and he's just a deplorable human being till the end. So uh, that's kind of the gist of the movie, but I want to ask, and I'll start with Dan, uh, as you like to say, litigate this for me. Um, Why do you think this movie didn't do as well as it did? Like it made money, but it didn't do as well considering the cast and what it was. And why do you think, people gave it such shitty reviews like because watching it again and watching it back then i don't get it because it is super fun and awesome but dan why do you think it 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 performed like it did uh because back in 2007 we hated fun brian we hated fun (laughs) (laughs) it it makes it makes zero sense to me because all of these stars with the exception of like affleck and probably chris pine but they were all up and coming you knew who they were we're kind of at the peak of their popularity in a sense. Like, I mean, not to, not to, and if they weren't, they were at least side characters enough to get people interested, but no one cares about Matthew Fox being in a movie, but I liked Lost. And when you see him in the trailer, you're like, oh, they even got the Lost guy. That's fun. You know, you're just going down the list of like, I like that guy. And they're like, whoa, Andy Garcia. I thought he was still chasing Brad Pitt and George Clooney in the Oceans movies. You know, it had some, it had a star or a bit player from almost, every franchise going back forever and they even marketed the ben affleck thing which i'm sure we'll get to as him being a star in the movie and chris pine is completely unhinged not a sex symbol in this movie uh but just this was when ryan reynolds was trying to go from every movie i have to be the lovable idiot rom-com to i'm gonna be the action star too and so i think maybe that was a turn that people weren't ready for if people were kind of like Oh, uh, Ryan Reynolds trying to be in a in a shoot 'em up movie with Ray Liotta. I, yeah, because he was I, in I Two Girls, to... a guy at a pizza place, and like buying the cow. And yeah, I get it. I just, I mean, I can only think that maybe just people were confused of of what it was trying to be because the trailer, while I thought it was awesome, I can see how you know someone like my mom's age or some older people who typically would frequent the movie theaters in January, which is a dumping ground and a slow time, were like, "That looks too crazy for me." Oh yeah, I bet you some some elderly people walked out just from the dialogue of this movie because there's lots of lots of things in this movie. Well, the thing is, is because I was running like you guys, I cut out, but I was a projectionist during this thing, so I've seen this movie a thousand times because it, in January it played the whole month on two screens, and you could just walk by it, turn up the sound whenever you wanted, and so I'd be like, "Oh, this part's on," and I'd watch it, and I don't remember it ever being full except for like the mid first midnight show okay all right that's that's it other than that it was it was always just like there's four or five people in there than me creepily above them looking through the little glass window (laughs) oh man that's crazy uh preston so the same question goes for you do you do you agree with dan or do you think there's more reasons why this didn't perform financially and critically well um maybe because it didn't have all the actors listed on the poster like they do in wes anderson movies nowadays (laughs) Um, (laughs) but 
I, I don't know because it's competition that weekend that it came it released was Epic Movie, which won the box office. Epic movie, um, and if you remember Epic Movie, that is a naked gun horror yeah. horrifying dumb movie. It was on four screens. I looked it up last night. We had Epic Movie playing on four separate screens that January weekend when I worked wow. at the movie theater in Austin. We were like, we need four prints of this film. It's gonna be huge. No sense. <laughs> um may I I don't know, like critic critics uh writing things back then just seemed to have such a big deal i shared this clip uh a few few days ago of jim carrey talking about ace venture granted that was the 90s but still then it just seemed like the power of words of reading something in the newspaper may have had it i don't i don't remember what the marketing was like then um so it's it's hard to say why uh it's not a bigger deal than it was to me at the time um but it was perfect for uh 16 year olds who were sneaking into r-rated movies i would say um um, i mean um, is is there yeah maybe it's the first few minutes of the movie when you're like what the hell's going on? Like, what's this about? Well, the first the first few minutes of the movie is literally introducing 20 characters you know, yeah, it's it's just 100 percent exposition. Well, I think what Pre- what Preston is saying is right about the poster and whatnot, because I, in addition to being the projectionist, I also put up the posters. And I specifically remember everyone's top half of their face is cut off on every single image on the poster. It says smoke and aces and has the names on it, but the names are small and it's just people holding guns and they're from their bottom of their mouth or the top of their mouth up. You don't see their face. So you don't see yeah. Ryan Reynolds' face. You don't see Common's face. You don't see any of these stars. Right? Yeah, and if they if they had a Marvel Avengers Endgame type of poster with everybody, you know, in their, you know, their their uh, parallel universes or whatever, I maybe it would have sold. But again, this is 2007. Not everybody's recognizable here. Well, at least all the stars that they have on the poster that, like Dan said, like even Ray Liotta, it's like so side profile in his face. You can't even see that it's him at all. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, poorly, poor design. Whereas today, this poster, everyone would say this is amazing. Everyone would see this poster and be like, this is awesome. You have all these people in like a pulpy, fun who gives a shit awesome action movie like it would it would blow up i think this movie would make at least double what it made back then it made almost what 50 million i'll bet it would be close to a hundred million dollar movie if it came out in smoking aces and and to say this like this is crazy because this movie cost 17 million dollars to make with the actors today alone would it be a hundred hundred and fifty million dollar budget like how does that work are these all were these all favors? I mean, obviously, a lot of them. I'll bet if they shot this movie for a month, some people were on set for four days tops. Yeah, I heard that so many people respected the Carnahan's previous film, Narc, Narc that right? They, that yeah. they were willing to just kind of do it for free. Well, it's crazy because Narc came out in 2002, meaning that that Narc must have 
started filming in production in 2000 or 2001. Smoking Aces didn't come out till 2006. So there was a lot of time in between 2002 and 2006 where what was Carnahan really doing? Like he might have been producing some stuff or he was uh, doing Mission Impossible 3 before he quit. Oh, so that's what it was then. Yeah, so that that's why Narc was a huge deal because Tom Cruise saw it and he's like, I want to produce it. I want to help you produce this and get this film out there. And they did. And so a lot of people respected him out of that connection and just the ties to the work, Ray Liotta being in it. Uh, you can see why he came back for uh, in this film. Um, and so, yeah, a lot of people wanted wanted to work with him. And so, uh, yeah, he was going to do, he was working. I think he had 15 months of work into Mission Impossible 3, but him him and uh, Tom Cruise couldn't nail down the tone of the film because I think Carnahan wanted to bring this punk rock energy to Mission Impossible 3. And that's not what Cruise was necessarily wanting from a Mission Impossible movie. So they they parted ways. And there were some other projects that Carnahan was going to do, but this was the one that he settled on. Do we give Carnahan credit for Philip Seymour Hoffman in Mission Impossible 3? Maybe. Did he was he the one who felt because it seems to me like if you're Philip Seymour Hoffman, I mean, now it's different for a big Oscar winner gravitas yeah. actor to be like, you know what, I'm going to go have some fun in a genre movie. But back then he wasn't you weren't seeing a lot of that. And Philip Seymour Hoffman signed on, which, you know, um, maybe we can talk about that movie at some someday. But like Philip Seymour Hoffman was awesome in that movie. Like yeah. that movie may not be very good, but he's incredible in that movie. And that trailer is also incredible. So I'm wondering if Philip Seymour Hoffman signed on like, oh, I'm going to work with the guy who did NARC and then just contractual things. And then J.J. Abrams. (laughs) (laughs) So it's, yeah, that's interesting. That's really interesting. It it is weird. So I'm, I'm curious with, with smoking aces. I, I'm really, it's still difficult for me to find out why it did so poorly. I mean, I get, again, it's January. It is a, Fairly hardcore rated R movie. There's tons of things going on in it. And back in the early 2000s, it's, you know, this is uh, not everybody was as known as they are now. So maybe that's the case. And maybe it's just nobody was ready for that type of dialogue in a more of a mainstream setting, I guess, because there's a lot of vulgar dialogue. And I mean, maybe it seems manic. Maybe. What do you think? I don't know. I have to go back and watch the, the original trailer to see how I, I, I don't know. There, there's probably so many reasons as to why it happened. Just the timing of it all. Um, it was coming right off of the departed come in 2006. So there's it, yeah, it, maybe the maybe the appetite wasn't quite there for this part of it, for, for this type of film at this time. Maybe Dan was right. Everybody hated fun in 2007. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we were just all down. We hated fun, but it. We're we're talking about how it wasn't that successful, but this movie kicked ass DVD sales wise. Yeah, I don't know if you guys looked that up. It made like thirty five million dollars domestically in the United States, but it made over thirty six million dollars in DVD sales. Like this movie <laughs> had, but I mean that's that's strong word of mouth. Well, I think I think like, at the time, you know, people were it was, yeah, it was word of mouth. People were and then. 
more of the actors started showing up and more things are like, oh, you got to see this crazy smoke and aces. You seen Guy Ritchie? Have you seen, you know, Narc? Like this is kind of crazy. Yeah, you know, you got to see even this. a little Quentin Tarantino. Like it's, it's, it's all of those genres to me. Like it's riffing or you know seems in the same vein as so many movies and directors that we love and enjoy. That that it's it's a perfect blender of awesomeness that. I think people just missed on whether it was marketing release date or what, or just not the right time. But man, I just can't imagine a movie like this coming out today. It, they, if you were to like recast it to 2023 actors, you'd have the like, same actors. Oh my God. That's what I mean. <laughs> well, the same actors, but think about if you just had like young up and coming, you're like, Oh, you know, who's the ever the rom-com guy is in Ryan Reynolds part, you know, he's trying to yeah, right. become a little bit more serious. You get, all the way down the list, it's like whoever would be the Ben Affleck showing up for just a couple minutes, and I, we would we would flock out and talk about that movie for for weeks afterwards and months right. afterwards. And this one was just like poof, poof, it was gone. So I'm curious. So the reason we chose this movie, Smoke and Aces, is because Ben Affleck has directed. He stars in the movie that's out right now called air and it's amazing. We love it. And so we were trying to go down the list. Like, are we doing Geely? Are we doing force of nature? What are we doing? <laughs> we landed on smoking aces and Ben Affleck is in this and in the trailer, he's heavily featured, but he almost has the same type of role as he did in boiler room where he shows up for a scene and he's done pretty much. Uh, I, there's something that everybody and every character in this movie turns in a great role. Like Joel Edgerton out of nowhere plays a funny ass role. Jeremy Piven seems like he plays himself, but who knows? <laughs> he learned um, some card tricks. He, he did learn some card tricks, but then you have like Jason Bateman in here as like one of the funniest roles in the movie. And if, I don't know if y'all caught this at all, but this had to be where Ben Affleck and Jason Bateman met. And in the scene where Ben Affleck and Jason Bateman are in the hotel room, if you look at it, I went back and watched Bateman is cracking Ben Affleck up where he has to turn away from the camera because he's laughing and they kept it in. And then they yeah. cut back to Ben Affleck and he's serious again, but you could tell like there was something between them that, okay, yeah. we got to get Bateman back for air. <laughs> Like, and, did you and, notice they were in, and they were in extract together. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Like, I think it came from this movie because I think Bateman, just I, everybody likes Bateman. Like, he he knows yeah. what he's doing. He's great. But him cracking Ben Affleck up on set must be difficult to do. But Bateman was doing it. And they left it in. So I'm very happy about that. Y'all noticed that, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, good. And then, I, like, go ahead. No, I was going to say, yeah, uh, you show up and you shoot in a hotel room for a couple. I mean, I know it's more than a couple hours, but just for these short scenes and you have that much fun. That's what the other thing is. I feel like everyone's having fun in this movie. There's well, nobody being self-serious. Like, it's just it seems like everyone's enjoying who they are. Well, everybody is having fun. But I will say the one person who, you know, is known for his comedic chops and his comedic delivery is Ryan Reynolds. And there's none of that here. He is the straight laced action hero with uh, Ray Liotta here. And there's not like his signature delivery, like he would do in Deadpool or anything else. Like this is straight laced Ryan Reynolds. And like, you feel for him too, especially in those final moments. Yeah. That's great. That's, that's debatable. Really? 
Yeah, that's very debatable. You weren't rooting for him? No. Why? <laughs> okay, let, let's go through this. Yeah, let's get let's get let's, to let's get into this today. Let's yeah, yeah, let's Preston, get to, to let's go to Preston Corner. What's going on on Preston Corner today? <laughs> <laughs> Are you ready for replacements too? Here we go. <laughs> oh no! I mean, okay. So with Ryan Reynolds' character, he is in the FBI. His partner is Ray Liotta. They're trying to take them down. They've been working on this case for a long time, and you know, during the movie until the end. Just like almost everybody dies and a lot of the FBI and Ryan Reynolds partners are getting shot and killed. And Andy Garcia, the head of the FBI, is like, you're on a need to no basis. And Ryan Reynolds is like, I need to be debriefed. What is happening here? Why are these two people still alive? The people we're after. And all is revealed. And Andy Garcia tells him some diabolical shit of what is going on. And there's like this... um, Kaiser Soze moment of like all these things happening, coming to fruition. And Ryan Reynolds character has the option. All right. I can go and live my life. I can still be an FBI agent and just look past this, or I can do what's air quotations, right. And screw everybody. And he chooses that. And I think the way they did it was beautiful poet. I loved it. And I felt for him. That's Clint Mansell's score clint mansell score right there (laughs) that that completely melts me like that's such a good moment that makes you feel that way yeah it is it is but now preston doesn't feel this so (laughs) preston replacement (laughs) it (laughs) um well to get to get to that point you have to talk about so many other things that lead up to it uh i will admit that watching it today that Ryan Reynolds really gives it his all. Like he is tearing up in that scene. And I do think it is poetic the way that he's pulling out the chords versus the alternate ending where he just straight up shoots both of them. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I, I will give him that. I think, I just think that so much of the movie is poorly edited for one. It's it's throwing so much at you. There's a lot of characters and that's part of the fun. I think the 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 blueprint is there for this film. I think that it's a it's a fun little premise. Uh Brian, you brought up John Wick. It's perfect uh comparison because we've seen this kind of world explored like I like the idea of so many people uh coming together not intentionally they think that everybody's just kind of trying to beat each other to the job uh to the money in this case um so you got that going on then you got this whole mob thing going on where this guy has been alive for a long time has done reconstructive surgery and has all these <laughs> secrets it's just that's 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 a story on its own and i think what makes john wick movies so great is that the the log line is like a sentence long if i try to explain this film to somebody it's just going to get too damn tiring it is because there's so many characters and there's even a point in the movie where you're thinking like okay this jumped the shark with like the little kid who 
is on ADHD. I love that. I love that kid. Though. I, I love that kid. Like he's like just and Him how they throwing f- the ice cream sandwich in the tub. Is oh. what got me. <laughs> well, he's like talking mad shit, and he just throws it in there, and then he's doing karate chops, and this little kid gets a hard on, and it just nothing, nothing makes sense. Nothing makes sense, and it's like cartoon. This is the cartoon element of the movie, but why is it in there? Like we see it to serve kind of a purpose to see somebody heal almost and, but. and then why common alicia keys have a love story, story? out of nowhere like right. that could have been a cool movie too on its own of like people connecting over like on their I, way out the door like that's a cool thing so there's so many little great nuggets of like this would be a really cool movie if they would just focused on this and i know I know Carnahan's style is very much like that. He likes to just kind of throw everything at the wall and he throws in all this kind of dialogue. We've compared it to Tarantino and, and Guy Ritchie and those are all fair. He'd probably hate those comparisons because he has. Yeah. But um, to <laughs> me, it's like this whole movie is, has. I'm trying to think of the perfect analogy. It's like, has so many, it, the current's very strong in two lanes. So like the story there's so much going on and when you're doing that you can't have the dialogue going fast too like you, you one of them needs to slow down there needs to be a moment like there wasn't a moment of pause until toward the end and then that kind of throws the tone off balance whenever they have an emotional moment between common and jeremy piven and i'm like what what are we doing here? Like it's going for an emotional swing that ha- it hasn't earned because the whole tone of the movie has been this the entire time. And so it needed to pick a lane and it pissed me off that it didn't. Okay. I, I, I understand you. I get it. Uh... So I'm starting to understand a little bit more why critics thought that way back then. I don't know if I would still deem it rotten just because there are a lot of great things in it as we've pointed out with so many of these different characters like chris pine alone um there there's there's a lot of great things i think i just i truly believe that it is a mess of a movie that could have been simplified and they could have cut quite a bit out and i heard from them shooting it that Joe Carnahan was really great to work with. He gave the actors a lot of room and it didn't matter how long the camera was going. I was like, dude, let some of those long scenes happen. I want there to be moments because that's what makes Tarantino movies work is that if they're going to have a scene that's comparable to, you know, two hitmen opening their trunk, talking about foot massages and whatnot, then it's a long shot. It feels like you're actually engaging and listening to the conversation here. Like in the beginning, they try to do that with, with uh, Ryan Reynolds and Ray Liotta, but they're cutting back. I'm like, what the fuck? Like, just, just stop, slow down. Like, I can't, I can't comprehend this. I don't even know how my 16, 17 year old self comprehended this. I bet you I was pretending. That well, I you were probably like, these are, they're talking, they're saying shit. They're saying fuck. They're talking about pussy I, exa- and cock sucking. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like the, the, when you were in like elementary school, when you were reading books with those words, you're like, this book is awesome, but I have no <laughs> idea what it's about. And so that's pre- it's exactly what I said at the top. It like it was the most adult movie that I had ever seen up till that point. But Dust Till Dawn has those moments. Right. They, it's, it's written by Tarantino. Tarantino. Yeah. 
Um, so I, it, it's just a little too off the rails, not focused enough, has too much going on. And I think, like I said, if it had been simplified, focused on, like there's so many good ideas in it, it just needed to pick a lane and then it would have been great. Um, well, that's what I like. Like Snatch has all these crazy characters, kooky characters, but it's done in a more simpler way. And you get that time to breathe with the characters and those long shots in their dialogue maybe unlike in Smoking Aces, where it does seem like Snatch, but high on cocaine constantly. And maybe, is it is it the thing, do you think, Carnahan, even though we love Carnahan and we like his movies, maybe this was just something like, okay, we got to get this. It's going to be released in January. It's, you know, less than two hours. We just have to get through this. Like, because I'm really trying to see, like, the end goal here, because all these characters are amazing, but they seem to just be dropped in and like, we need to have this. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't know like what this original, like how long was it? Cause we, we hear more about that these days. We're like, Oh, John wick was originally four. Or John wick four was originally four hours. You're like, good God. Um, but, and then they trim it down. And you're like, Hey, it still works. Um, this, I don't know what it would be like. Uh, it probably would have served this particular story better if it was like a a series because there's so much going on like imagine watching this movie and like following along with ben affleck's part of the story which is really interesting because it's like they're they're <laughs> so they're so confident they think they got this in the bag Heck, like they're yeah. very chill about it they're 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 coming about this in a plan that seems like it would work in any other movie and it would see itself all the way to the end. And then Joe Carnahan is like, you know what? F all y'all. You're I'm right. Gonna take, I'm going to pull the rug from under you. And then I'm going to make it. So it, it's weird. It's like I feel very conflicted about it because it's cool in that the lines between like who's a protagonist and an antagonist in it are so blurred. And that's really fascinating to me. And, and you don't know which character to truly root for and you're trying to figure things out. And so the, the, the mind games it does is interesting when you take a step back from it and you just try to comprehend the whole story. And once you make it to the end, you, when you think about it more so, you're like, oh, it's really cool. But man, that experience of watching it was too much. And so <laughs> that's how I feel. Like, I think that when when i when i take a step back from it i think i can recognize the genius in it in some places but then just the experience of watching it i'm just like settle 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 come on man settle down there we go dan what do you think i think the chaos is the best part of it i think preston being like there's all these little moments that are so good i wish they were longer but i kind of like that it's just um like uh rainbow sprinkles so you get all the little colors in there and you put it in your mouth it's sugary fun sweetness and then it's over like i didn't have to <laughs> i didn't have to think about it hard i didn't have to like sift through and like debate like i i all of the criticisms are perfectly valid i'm just and maybe it would have been a better series but i kind of liked how it all just flowed together and at the end of the day i don't have to worry about anything and me picking apart well well, actually, when Ben Affleck was talking to his handler the two weeks before, how would he have gotten this wrong and he crossed paths with so-and-so? I just like that. It's like, let's just go. Or Chris Pine. I don't want a background on Chris Pine's character. Like, he, I just want to see. I don't, I don't, I don't want to cut you off, so keep going. No, yo, you're good. I just love, like, I laughed so hard 
at everything that happens with the kid and when the elevator opens and he's in there with his boys and there's like the chainsaw and all the, everything about it. I'm just like, I'm here for this. If I knew anything more then I would nitpick it. And this movie gives you just enough for me personally to, I can nitpick it, but I'm like, you know what? It moved on too fast. So it had like the opposite effect for me as it did for Preston where he wanted a little bit more. And I was like, ah, eh, we're good. Let's move on to the next fun thing. See, I'm glad that you could, I, I, I mean, I, I really, I truly am. I'm like glad that you feel that way because you're, you're like embracing the same mindset that I had when I was younger, where I probably didn't think about any of those things. I didn't think about, you know, if they did a heart transplant with that, with the, the crime boss at the end of this and uh, what happens to his other organs, they're not thinking like the yeah. rest of it's going to fail. And that's honestly, it's something I'm trying so hard to not do, especially like on this podcast, the, go back and watch these movies and just be like, I'm going to rip these apart. I'm going to try to enjoy them and have fun with them. Because even think about John Wick 4. We all loved John Wick 4. It was entertaining as hell. If you spend more than 10 seconds thinking about either the logistics, the sides, the groups, the teams that show up in Paris, like, oh, here comes the mechanic assassins crew. They're all like leaving their little mechanics shops to go fight them in the middle of the... Uh, whatever French word for their roundabout is. It's just, it it would take away from the joy of like, no, I just want to watch 30 more people get killed. And in this one, it was like, here's Ben Affleck for a fun scene. And it's like, here's Common and Alicia Keys being sexy. Like, it's just, I'm here for it. it. Here's Jeremy Piven, apparently I, just being Jeremy Piven. I find John Wick, uh, this podcast is just not going to be completely pro John Wick in every episode. Like we're we're not going to bring it. We're going to, we're going to work really hard not to bring it up next week. So let's do something entirely different. Um, It, it, so all those moments I find so completely forgivable in the John Wick movies because it does such a great job of building that world that I can just, uh, sure. Yeah. I can buy into that. Um, Like a Marvel movie. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I had I, f- I find it harder to to do that in this <laughs> film because it's so tonally at odds with itself throughout the film that I I can't imagine like because like Ryan Reynolds will have very serious moments as he does in most of the scenes that he is in this film like when when Ray Liotta has that shootout which is like the one moment of true tension and anxiety in the film is when Ray Liotta's in the the elevator with that other guy and they shoot each other and, and then it's over it's real quick but that build up was really really great and then following that when the elevator's open and then Taraji P Henson's across the way in another hotel with this really heavy duty sniper that can just blow your head off 50 cal yeah it's awesome uh and, and all the police officers and everybody that's in there they're getting shot at and they're just 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 shooting like like there's nobody else that's in the hotel across the way like they're <laughs> not going to get killed and so like i it's hard for me to separate that fact that the logic in this is more apparent like i can see it it's it's very visible in comparison to john wick when it has those kinds of moments because i i I just i just believe that everybody that's a part of that world would do that because the rules are so firmly established and then i was like oh like john when john wick 
one ended and i'm like there's this entire world like is everybody assassin there's only something like what percentage of the world is assassins and so like that just kind of in each film just kind of expanded it and made it more believable and so i'm just like yeah everybody's kind of living these fake lives like they're pretending to be normal people but they got darkness uh within them so um i yeah i i I just couldn't separate myself from buying into the more dramatic moments because of all the silly moments that happened before and i didn't think joe carnahan did a great job of juggling those things or balancing those things like other filmmakers have that kind of embrace the wackiness of something and then the seriousness of something else and and so when it comes down to scenes of pumping the brakes like i mentioned with jeremy piven and common or some of the other characters uh especially toward the end um i i just like I, I don't feel like any of y'all really earned having these moments because I just didn't buy everything that happened leading up to it. Okay. Fair enough. I would say that that mix of absurdity and maybe being grounded was definitely leaning towards one of those sides more Uh, But I still was there, I guess, for that ride. And still today, still watching it, you know, last night, it was, uh, it's, it's still the absurdity is what I love about it. Like Dan said, like, because you're you're there and you're just like, you see that the Chris Pine and his, his brothers and they're like, these people are insane. Like these are anime characters who think they're in Mad Max movie tearing through crazy things and they look like that and like knowing chris pine you know you're just like you know this upper echelon actor and he's doing this role is just you know chef's kiss and but it's you funnier because we've never because we at, at that point he was only in like princess diaries too and <laughs> we didn't know we didn't know who he was and then just watching in retrospect you're like dude yeah man this was a role for him and no, and i think a lot of critics recognized his i think they they said that man this guy really has something and he's he's great he's great fun in it he is he is and you know even ben affleck is great in this and like everybody turns in these small great performances but i think it's the absurdity even that little you know 13 year old kid who lives with his grandmother who just <laughs>, laughs at him and you know he's like she when she takes him out like you know headlocks him <laughs> and he's screaming yeah. it's just it's crazy it, and like it, that's the scene where like the editing is like they're doing like the scorsese pauses and you know it's just wait what is going on here are we are we going delirious is it like building in the crescendo like what's going to happen well it's built it's 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 uh supporting uh what's that actor's name that plays the guy that's like the one survivor at right group. yeah i know who he is and he's great but he's like that you don't think he's gonna survive because he just he just doesn't care about anything <laughs> Well, yeah, and when we see him like come up from the the water after being dumped out there after all those uh, Chris Pine and his cr- wild crew uh, dump their bodies out there, he's like missing his four fingers or all his fingers on one hand, and 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 he even says when when he finally confronts Chris Pine again with the gun at the end that. He's like, I've been delirious. I've been through some stuff. And so that moment, I do feel like he earned that. 
because yeah they did they they did a great job of building that because of like that kid it's it's just like this that is like it has one eye he's he's a ninja (laughs) yeah it's like specificity with characterization that you just don't see a a, a lot of times like where you're like (laughs) What is this guy's deal? What is going on? And that character who survives with the Ben Affleck crew, it's almost like he is the Paul Rudd character from Wet Hot American Summer. He just doesn't yeah. care about anything. When they're like planning out their their mission, he's just sitting in the car. He's like, oh, I got to get out. Damn it. <laughs> yeah, that's why it makes it funny with that that kid when he's just doing all those things. He's like, Jesus Christ, what the hell is going on? And then when it comes to the end and then he's confronting Chris Pine, Chris Pine's like, you can take my car and take the keys. Like, I'm so sorry, man. Hey, hey, we were trying to do the exact same thing. But, you know, it's not like this recognition, like in John Wick, where like business is business. I understand. Uh, It's like when he's proceeding to walk away thinking that he's got it in the bag chris pine's character and then and then the guy shoots him he's like fuck this it it, it just it it's like all that pounding that he'd been taking the entire movie it finally paid off for it him. paid off and i like how far chris pine got in the walk yeah. and he just shoots him from across like a long parking lot perfectly yeah without even looking <laughs> looking right? yeah it, it would almost be like paul rudd's character in what hot american summer shot somebody and just made it happen yeah i don't know i i, I enjoyed that moment um yeah I'll, I'll say that uh joe carnahan has nailed this tone before in other mo- better movies I like think. cop shop cop shop 100 percent is a very absurd movie has goofy dialogue and things like that but i buy into the the mission of the characters like why they're doing what they're doing and i feel for them when things happen for them um so it but it's also a very stripped down story and very simple and so i i think that kind of pace just works for me nowadays and so at the time yeah smoking aces was the greatest thing that ever happened to me in 2006 (laughs) uh 2007 um so uh yeah it it was just my to quote whiplash annoyingly like it was my tempo at the time and so this is my tempo now cop shop and so i think the maturity of joe carnahan with his films over the years with like the gray which is still a fantastic movie i enjoy stretch i think Wheelman, which is something that he produced but still in his wheelhouse is uh quite good um so yeah he's capable of really great stuff in working in this particular arena when he can just uh, home his skills a little bit more um, uh, than, than this film did for me at uh, watching it today. Cool. I like it. So let's talk about the soundtrack a little bit because the soundtrack was crazy and amazing. You have the prodigy motorhead, the stooges common, the Jizza, Ennio Morricone and Clint Mansell. Uh, I, there wasn't like needle drops like there are in other movies like today, but they're in the background and you can hear them. But I thought it went well with this movie. But now we have to talk about before we do this, this movie might have not done so well critically or financially, but like on home video it did. And it did so well that it spawned a prequel movie. Did anybody see the prequel movie? 
Smoke and Aces 2. I haven't seen it. Assassin's That's Ball that came out in 2010. I missed that one. So the the director of that um, was PJ Pesque, and it stars Tom Berenger. Nope. <laughs> and Vinnie Jones are the most recognizable actors in this. Um, That's tough. <laughs> Tom Berenger. It looks like they continue that character who just... That's another thing about this movie's logic. So what's uh, uh, Tommy Flanagan? Flanagan, the suit, the... the Yes, I know who you're yes. talking about. Yeah, so he's the guy from like Sons of Anarchy. Right. He he's his character in the first Smoke and Aces is this like mastermind of torturing people, uh takes his time. And so his the ending of his story in the in the first Smoke and Aces is that he's he does the whole Mission Impossible thing, which probably yeah, that's that's Gerald that's Clark the homage right there. Yeah, yeah, there yeah. Uh, puts on uh, Joel Edgerton's face, uh, his character, <laughs> uh, who's this Russian tracksuit wearing guy, and so he is able to just very smoothly get into his suite to kill Jeremy Piven. But he, now that he's in there and he has complete control, he's going to take his time and he's putting all these torture devices and all these things that he's going to do to him. Um, and meanwhile, I'm watching him like, just hurry up, man, hurry up. You don't know what's going on outside there. Um, and uh, so the, the the police and all, all these other people, Jeremy Piven's people, like they break down the door and then they're, the police are chasing after that guy and he takes off his mask and he's on the ground. And he, so the police see this guy and they're like, oh, well, we'll just move on. Um, that's not the guy that we're looking for. And he gets a, he manages to get away. But but the scene that we're seeing right there is like ryan reynolds fired up by losing his partner and he's chasing after this guy um and then it just cuts to like them all outside having their die hard moment where like oh man that was crazy wasn't it and then just everybody's out there and like what the hell happened to that guy and, and we we do see that he like gets away and everything but it's just like what if the, what there was no conversation about that guy got away. Like it just kind of seemed like everybody kind of gave up on things. Um, and that does happen throughout this film where it just seems like people kind of gave up and it, it doesn't make sense of that, that it happened that way. So um, with, with that, uh, I, I agree with you that it doesn't make sense, but I'm here. But again, like we said, if this were a TV series, we get all these backgrounds and all these yeah, stories. Um, what did y'all think about seeing Curtis Armstrong in the movie again? Like Booger from uh, yeah. Revenge of the Nerds as the, the Jewish Maury lawyer? <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? I know him from Jingle All the Way as Booster. <laughs> <laughs> That's I just, where I know him from. I just thought it was funny. I just, I, I laughed that whole time. Um, in that moment, in that connection between him and Jeremy Piven's character, like even Jeremy Piven's like really going for it in that moment because he's like tearing up and like you in the way that he's handling like potentially committing suicide, knowing that he's he's screwed and that he's no longer protected. Um, was was a good moment. It was a good moment. I will have to say. 
Oh yeah, it's uh, it's crazy. Uh, I I still like this movie. I still like Smoking Aces. Has this? I know it's been released on Blu-ray, but they have done a 4K or like a special collector's edition to this. They have done a 4K. They did a steel book of it. Oh, they did a steel book of it. Do you have it? I think I don't. No, I don't have it. <laughs> Look at you, one of the ones you don't have. Yeah, yeah. I I, I just because I guess lately I've been sizing down my collection and consolidating. Um, I but I, re- I revis- probably should get I probably should get it for my sixteen year old self. But uh, yeah, I was like uh, revisiting it. What do you think? Would it be something you would want to have in a collection? I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take I'll take the digital code. Okay, it's more than. <laughs> ignore that dan what about would you want to add this i mean dan i don't even think we talked about this do you have a movie collection no not a big one anymore i've got some favorites and some you know i've got my lord of the rings extended edition blu-rays and some of the you know uh some tarantino movies and some classic movies here and there a couple of criterion collection but i've got nothing to even touch the foothills of the mountains that you guys have created so <laughs> Well, what would you have this in your collection? I would now, just because it would upset Preston. <laughs> <laughs> it's a spite purchase. <laughs> when I, when I get it, I'll give you my digital download. <laughs> there we go. That's a fair trade. That's when you like make my money. I, I think this is another movie that we did. We did it. We found another one that it deserves a rewatch. Like you, I know. It, we know that Preston doesn't hate this movie at all. Yeah. Um, we're just messing with him, but like it's. This movie is unworthy of the rap that it got, um, critic-wise, and it's it's better than its reputation. It is. It's done well, and to see all these actors in this movie, and further, I I can't wait to talk to Joe Carnahan and ask him about that scene with Ben Affleck and Jason Bateman because to keep those scenes in where Ben Affleck is like clearly laughing on screen at Jason Bateman's performance is just so great. Like it's so visible. <laughs> and I, I love everything about that. Uh, Smoking aces. Um, I, I reckon well, go watch this again. Like it's, yeah. they don't make movies like this anymore. Like, like as Preston has definitely told us, like they, they go deeper now. They, 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 they take a look at the storylines and characters here. It's all surface material for the most part. And it, it goes. I don't know if I would want to have Joe Carnahan talk. I mean, I know how he is and uh, I, yeah, I don't know if I have the balls to have a conversation with him when he's just ripping me apart for whatever I said in the last episode. But how amazing would that be? <laughs> Preston gets ripped apart by Joe Carnahan. <laughs> sure i mean sure sure i'm in i'm in well we have to get him on because i'm sure he likes talking about this movie and he's almost ahead of the curve because like you said like cop shop and narc like these are great movies and we yeah. have to find out what happened with smoke and aces right hell he might have a 200 page script of this movie he's like yeah we try to pitch this and you know here's what we had to do yeah to appease everyone so yeah we are fear and loathing cinema podcast uh thank you for listening uh, we and thank you to ben affleck really for helping <laughs> us choose this movie this week go see air and if you can find 
um, Smoke and Aces, which you can because it is on HBO. Um, you can HBO Max. You can watch it there. Uh, or find it on Blu-ray. Find it on 4K, that steelbook life. Smoke and Aces. And you can see all the amazing actors in this and the absurdity of this movie. Uh, yes. Yes, indeed. Let's... Until, until next week, um, we will... Go to your local theater, go to your local Hulu and HBO Max and watch this. Uh, you can find Dan Moran on Boomstick Comics writing all them reviews. And he's handling that Fear and Loathing podcast Instagram handle. Go check that out. Follow us. And then Preston Barta, you can find all of his amazing and lovely reviews. He gives that insight that you want to be excited about movies at the Denton Record Chronicle and at freshfiction.tv, including his interviews, which his interviews are just makes you appreciate the filmmakers and actors more. Uh, he he dives in deep uh, and we're both going to interview some, some people today and tomorrow that we're very much looking forward to. And you can find them at Instagram, Blu-ray dad and Twitter uh, at Preston Barto. And me, highdefdigest.com boomstickcomics.com youtube instagram and twitter and soundtracks radio and don't forget to check out my bloody podcast the horror movie podcast Preston and i do so thank you so much for listening we'll be back next week